Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanna Colbert, and you're listening to The Casting Session. I decided to create this podcast out of a desire to help actors feel more confident in their auditions. This podcast is an inside look at filmmaking through the perspective of casting. In these interviews, I'm going to provide you with in-depth, enlightening, fun conversations with the industry's top casting directors, actors, directors, and producers. We're going to cover a range of topics like the audition process and the role casting plays in the collaboration with directors and the overall craft of casting. Basically, we're giving you a behind-the-scenes look into the casting process. So without further ado, I bring you the casting session. Welcome to the Casting Session podcast. Today's guests are making my day already, and they are Justine Arteta, Kim Davis, and Farron Einhorn. What's really cool is that Justine and Kim have been casting partners for 30 years, which is wonderful and incredible, and Farron joined them about six years ago. And the other really cool thing is that Farron has the added excitement of also being an actor. So we have so much to discuss today. So welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having us, Joanna. You're so welcome. So Kim and Justine, just fill us in a little bit about a 30-year marriage. It really is. By the way, the marriage is the perfect word. Like in this last year, we haven't seen each other. And we've seen each other basically almost every day for the last million years, you know, so it's been so weird. But we got together, I needed a job and Kim was casting these all these incredible music videos and commercials. And I asked her um, if she needed anybody to come help. And weirdly, she did. So that's how it all started as I came to help out and learn video and commercial casting. And we stayed together for a long time, like a few years. And then Kim started a family. And so I went to learn TV and film casting under Junie Lowry Johnson and Libby Goldstein. And then a few years later, like three, maybe three years later, Drew Barrymore and Javonan came to us with um, Never Been Kissed. They said, how about you guys get together again? And Kim was ready and I was ready. I felt like I asked Junie, I said, am I ready? And she's like, you're bloody well more than ready. And that Bob's your uncle. Off we went, didn't we, Kim? Exactly. And then, yeah, so Justine learned all the wonderful ways of feature casting and television casting. And then when we partnered back up, like I was able to learn everything that she learned and we just learned together. And the fact that 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 was sort of Nancy and Drew's idea for us to come together was kind of an unbelievable moment. And the fact that we talk about this, that Laura Ziskin at Fox was willing to take a chance on two young ladies who'd never officially cast their own films you know like we were so brand new didn't it come about Justine in that conversation that like um, we'd cast some videos that Laura thought were particularly fun and had great casting and so she was like they were on her radar for some reason and she was like that's great that's a great fit for what we're doing in this film and so it was really lucky to be honest like I don't know if that would happen today in these times 
you think about the meetings you go into now to try and get a, a film and there is no way we would have gotten Never Been Kissed today. I think we had one name on our list for one of the parts. We were just like, we just think it's John C. Riley. <laughs> that made her laugh so hard. And by the way, it was John C. Riley. There you go. It was really super cool how that happened. And I do also want to say, but then right on the very heels of getting that job, Spike Jones was casting or, you know, about to direct his first film. And so suddenly then we had to piggyback his first film being John Malkovich right on top of getting our very first film. And so suddenly we were doing them both together kind of almost at the same time. And it was very funny how that all happened too, because we were like, how the heck do we do this? And splitting our days and trying to do one and then quickly running over to session for another. and. They didn't really know about each other. Yeah, it's exactly right. It was, but we couldn't say no to Drew. She hopes and dreams for the future. You know, it's like, what do you like think? Where are we going to be? And she was like, I want to produce and I want to make films. And then Nancy came along and made that a reality. And then I was, or Kim and I were like, well, we want to cast films. And so it was pretty gorgeous you know, for that long ago, it was a pretty gorgeous combination. And then Spike and Vince were like, we'll take whatever you can give us time-wise. But both films were wicked good fun and couldn't have been more different, you know? Right. And iconic. And then Farron, how did you enter the family? Well, when I saw that Kim and Justine cast Little Miss Sunshine and being John Malkovich and some of my favorite films, you know, when I had the opportunity to meet up with these ladies and work on a feature with them, I said, obviously, yes, and hoped that they would say the same. And then we started working together, yeah, about over six years ago on features, and they taught me the world. It felt so natural and fun. And it, you know, it really actually reinvigorated my excitement for casting and for being on that side of the table. And also such an actor-friendly office. It felt so critical to me to be working with women that feel that way. Because I've worked in several offices over the years in New York and Los Angeles. And Kim and Justine just bring such a grace and loveliness to actors who audition for them. So that was such a joy to be a part of that crew. So yeah, and here, here we are. Oh, thanks, Karen. <laughs> I know we don't yeah. often get to like compliment each other like this. Yeah. It's so fun. Love fest. We do always say that, you know, the minute we're not passionate about it anymore would be a time to get out because you have to love actors. You have to love what you're doing because it's really hard casting and you have to love actors and what they bring to you. And you imagine them getting those sides and learning at their house, learning in their car, learning in front of the mirror, learning with friends and driving to your office. And it's like, if you don't, can't make them feel as safe as possible and love them for doing all of that for this project, like what the heck are you doing in the business, right? Totally. Absolutely. We all share that. And if one of us didn't, it would be like, we've got to go. <laughs> like, you're out of here, by the way. <laughs> you're off the vision bus. Bye. And Baron, if you had sort of a parsing out or headline takeaway for what helps you as an actor. Yeah, I'd say thinking long term, you're really auditioning for the office and not just for the part. 
what I've learned so much is that it's our job to basically keep a mental Rolodex of actors from every project that we work on and that we cast and that not every part is going to be your part. What, you know, the numbers aren't in your favor. So many people audition and one person gets the role, but it's really this cumulative business where Kim Justine and I have actors that we just love to be constantly thinking about and trying in different projects and different avenues and different roles. And that's really, you know, what's so fun is that you bring your best work. And if it doesn't work out for that role, it is not a reflection on you as an actor at all. It's just not your part that day, that time. So that's this sort of sense of trust and bigger, looking bigger picture and things that I think are helpful for life in general, right? If it's meant to be mine, you know, it will be. And bigger picture, I'm meeting this office. This office is going to remember me. You know, casting directors have their little symbols that they put down in their notes to remember people. Tell me if you have experienced this. Casting directors, the way we work so intensely and intimately, if you will, and just being in the weeds together, I started to find everyone in my office would start dressing alike. Oh, 100%. Right? Guilty. What is that? Not only dressing alike, but also talking alike. I've definitely adopted so many Justine and Kimisms. It's a brain mesh. It, it is a brain mesh. I'm so fascinated. I want to know the science behind it, right? You know, it must be an energetic type of thing. Picking up on each other's vibrations or cells or something would be kind of fun to really <laughs> find out why. That could be like a whole other podcast in and of itself. But it's so true. And it is so fascinating that if you do put three people in a room together all day, every day for so many years, there's got to be some kind of a scientific quotient that just it happens. It just absolutely happens. I mean, we will literally come in same color palette. It's very funny. There was one time there were three of us from the office going to a director session and we were literally in the same outfit. I was like, you guys, we can't show up to this meeting in the same outfit. Casting uniform. <laughs> like somebody's got to go home and change. Hilarious. Or by the way, you can just like have a have an outfit, have a uniform. It just makes it so easy. It takes the stress of getting dressed out of it. So speaking of outfits and dressing, have you ever had to help an actor get the role with something like telling them to dress differently or giving them a hat that you had in your bag? Or do we have any of those stories we can share with the audience? We just did it for an actor that was auditioning for Daisy Jones. I mean, it had really been so many years, but Justine and I were at a thrift store on Melrose, like getting outfits for this actor's screen test because we were like, his own personal choices weren't really the part. And so we were like, we've got to help. So we were grabbing vintage t-shirts, grabbing stuff off the rack. We're like, what about this? What about this? Is this a good shirt? You know, we really wanted to give him that advantage and so we're so are you kidding we often talk about having a little business on the side because we care so deeply about how actors look when they come in and go on tape and we sometimes will just do a little zhoosh luckily we all sort of agree that we like things very natural as little hair and makeup as possible is our motto. Honestly, if you almost just wake up and roll out of bed and come into our office, we're so stoked. Unless you're auditioning for a disco queen. 
Right. You know, then there's always the odd role. And Kim and Justine are so specific in what they want looks wise. And most of the time, it's also bring your version of this character. It's not cookie cutter, like dress in scrubs for the nurse. It's what is your version of someone who would work in this avenue and be in this field. And also, I feel like you guys are so conscious about being, you know, using what you've got and not going out and spending money if you don't have to, you know, it's so much about is this going to help you feel like you're in the vibe of this person that takes a shower once a week or whatever it is, you can use what you've got at home. And Kim and Justine, I feel like just sort of amplify that when someone comes in the office. It's my favorite watching them run up to someone and be like, is it okay if I touch your hair? And then doing the most perfect little like bang adjustment. (laughs) That makes such a difference. Let's talk about vibe because I talk a lot on the podcast about essence and the importance of that. And it's so hard to explain. And there's sort of two avenues we could go down here. Because casting directors deal in essence, it's basically what we deal in is why our jobs are so difficult to explain and why it's so difficult to honor what we do and have the community value what we do. But the other direction is what is essence and what is it, how do we define it? And what is the importance of the actor's quality? It's the most important thing. And it's also the thing that is almost impossible to talk about and explain. It's sort of this thing when where the actor starts reading the character and you just listening to them and watching them and you just realize like this person just has the whole enchilada like the whole thing and it's just so beautiful it's one of the most beautiful things how lucky are we that we get to do this job where we get to witness that kind of art right because it's so visceral yeah like Kim gets chills I get nauseous That's interesting. You know, Marion Doherty used to say she would cast based on the hairs on the back of her neck. If they would stand up, she would know it was right. And she would cast then De Niro and Pacino. And of course, we all know Marion's legacy, but it's fascinating. Do you think that we can get better at trusting our intuition? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is such a hunch. It is such a vibe. The amount of things that sort of have to line up in those moments, it's a pretty staggering idea. You know, it's like whether or not they're going to come in and lay it down and read for that part, whether or not we're going to get the audition that we are hoping for, whether or not the team is going to respond. It's just a massive alignment of things that have to happen in order for things to go down right. It's pretty wild. But yeah, a lot of it does start with hunch and instinct. I mean, that's something that I just want to go on record to say. That's the thing I love so much about Justine and Baron now, like in our office. We really love how we just can kind of check each other and confirm with each other and like, are you feeling that? I really enjoy working in a partnership that way, just because sometimes you lose sight of what is this part? What are we looking for? And it's like somebody will come in, you know, on day 12 or day 22 and you're like, finally there it is and then the behemoth of a job of not saying we found the person because nobody wants to be told that um, of offering that to gem and saying hey let us know what you think of this guy or this one you know this person and hope that they see what you see 
I have so been in that situation like early on in my career where I ran up to the director and I said, I found him. They were like, nope, <laughs> I want to be the one to find him. Well, as we all know, it's like they have to discover that for themselves, you know? Yeah, it's part of our jobs to be two steps ahead, but pretend we're a step behind. Which sucks, by the way. So we pat each other on our backs, all of us. We're like, gee. Yeah, <laughs> we get to celebrate internally, but we have to play it cool to the outside world. But we get to just really geek out. Even if it doesn't go that actor's way, ultimately, we got to have that experience of knowing how magical that reading was. And we hold on to that. And this is not in a cynical or malicious way towards the director. It's really just elegantly doing our process. Keeping the lid on your excitement or tempering it and saving it for like when and if, you know? Yes. It's almost like a performance on our side. And then when a director says, let's get that person, it's the biggest thrill. Yeah. And telling the actor they have the job is the biggest thrill or telling the agent. Another thing we have to remember not to do is tell them in the room. Yes. Yeah. The amount of people that have to be involved with that approval process is pretty, um, it seems like it has grown over the years. It's felt like it has changed. We have worked with the odd director, though, that is able to say it in the room. There's two directors that we've worked with, and it's just so genius because you know that they will be allowed to have that person. It's not going to be like, hold your horses. You know, there's a process. They're going to say yes to that, you know, and that's the coolest. And how fun and unique for the actor to get that direct from the creative team. It's so rare. Absolutely. Yeah. Auditioning is the greatest. The fact that actors can come in like this horrible little, I mean, the amount of little nastiest little rooms we've been shoved in. <laughs> in closets. <laughs> casting closet. Forget the casting couch. Like... <laughs> Like a couch? That isn't even like an option. That casting even... hallway, casting hallway. corridor. <laughs> Hell, casting cubicle. We've cast in cubicles. Oh I mean, my God. Adaptation, we had a cubicle. We had an office and then we had a room, which was a cubicle. And Kim oftentimes um, is doing the camera and she had to like kind of shove herself up against the window <laughs> and the semi thin desk into the corner as far away as possible which was so far. oh my god I swear to god it was like a five by five little five by four little room and don't forget I was pregnant we were like all on top of each other oh my god so now with that and we're all doing auditions from zoom or what have you where do you all stand on the pandemic casting I mean what's kind of cool in one way is I feel like we've been greasing the wheels to move in this direction because so many self-tapes had been coming in like even actors who were you know if we were casting in Los Angeles actors who were based in Los Angeles we were still requesting self-tapes in tandem with in the room auditions just so that we could really get to consider as many actors as possible there's only so many hours in the day and we don't want actors running into other actors in the waiting room so we really have to schedule so like respectfully, but that really limits the amount of talent that you can see. So we'd been really getting into this groove of getting self-tapes in conjunction within the room. So it's kind of nice that that was already in place and that we'd been able to get a sense of what works. I mean, natural lighting is always <laughs> like beautiful, gorgeous, natural lighting. 
if you have the ring light, great. But like, if you've got a great window, pop yourself in front of it. Um, I'll speak for myself. It's like we miss the chin wags we get to have with actors pre and post readings, but it has been kind of way more efficient in a way. It is really efficient. And then you also imagine the actor not having the stress of driving somewhere and finding a parking spot, which is just a bloody nightmare anywhere in Los Angeles, getting in on time so they're not late. I think for them, it's probably a lot better. And then, of course, I think the first audition, it's so good to do it that way. And then if you see something lovely in there and you see some potential in their choice, the next stage is you bring them straight back because they're, you know, the merit of their self-tape warrants it. So it's pretty cool. It allows people to be a bit more comfy. We'll get calls from agents saying like they prefer to come in. They're not the kind of actor that wants to do it on their own yet. And so sure, if that's the case, sure, let's do that. Um, but I think what Farron just said is so right. It allows you also to take risks, like maybe those 10 other people you might not have been able to see because of the way we schedule. We, as Karen said, we don't like actors bumping into each other. Um, you know, we like them to feel like they're coming in for that part and nothing can rock that situation for them. And so it allows you to be like, you know, these people, we don't, you know, let's take a risk on these additional 10 or 20 people that we don't quite know yet, or we've never seen do this, but we have a hunch that they might be able to pull this part off. It's so delightful for us. We got to see more people and therefore add a few more little feathers to our caps as far as new favorite people. Building our little wheelhouse of actors that we rely so deeply on every project we can add a handful of actors and it's sort of really helping us with that too. I think that's going to be great for the audience to hear that this is now another sort of portal for us to learn more actors in a very efficient way. It's not like we have to go to 10 plays, which we'll do. We can do this, you know, in an hour at our desks and we know 10 more actors. Yes. And how do we feel about where we're headed? Are we headed back to our little cubby hole offices, closets, uh, casting sessions? It used to be we had an office a long time ago and then we were working on so many films that it wanted us to be in the production office. But then less and less production offices are wanting to pay for as many offices as it can take to have the whole crew there. So it just seems more and more like we're not expected to be in the production office. So the cubby hole may not be but then also the budget for office space who knows if they can provide that and so it's going to be interesting we have a tiny spot that we rent out of Silver Lake and it is tiny but it's great and also actors love it because it's east side they can't believe how lucky you know they look because so many actors are on the east side I don't know what it's going to be it's going to be really interesting isn't it I feel like I mean even with this Amazon series that we've been casting pre-pandemic, we got an actor all the way up to right before the finish line via Zoom because he was in New York. And you just needed then the final piece of getting them in the room and doing a music piece or having them do a chemistry read. But I wonder if maybe that's a hybrid version where it's going to be so much of the steps along the way will be remote. And then depending on the size of the role or what the needs are, that final piece will be in a room together. Interesting. It could be a great solution, actually. It takes away the shorthand of the director and the casting director a little bit, you know, not being in the room, because that's always so lovely to watch all of that process, because it 
fine tunes like you're like oh, I haven't thought of that I can now bring that into my auditions the next day. Right. We have this unique opportunity of time with the director before all the other HODs come on. And it's so creatively intimate and shaping the canvas. And I hope that isn't lost. Yeah, me too. Because I feel like that is sort of the foundation from which we do our visioning for the film. Yeah, let's hope that we all can kind of find each other in rooms when it makes sense and it's the right version. Yeah. It's all really exciting. Change is exciting though, isn't it? It is. And the silver linings are exciting. And Yeah, it's so true. We have to look at all the wonderful perks and things that wouldn't have really happened had this all not happened this way. Yes, absolutely. Joanna, have you ever had a situation where you're in an absolute disastrous situation in an audition? Well, a story that I've told on this podcast is an actor in a choking scene actually choked me. Oh my God. That was as pretty close to a disaster as I've been, sort of, but yes. That's wild. That reminds me, we were reading an actor a million years ago before we were with Farron. And it was a bit of a Western, and it was a scene where the man, cowboy, wants to take off his belt and lash his woman because she's done something terrible. And he took out his belt and started lashing me. I will say I was sitting in a chair, but he was lashing the back of the chair, but he was lashing it so hard that the belt was whipping around the front and lashing into my stomach. And I I just was like, okay, we were pretty new, Kim and I. And I was like, I've just got to stay in the scene. This is hurting, but I'm just going to stay reading because he's really into the scene right now. Kim finally was like, hold up. Thank goodness, Kim. I was just watching this play out in front of me. I was like, are you fucking, wait, hold on. Actors never, never, never touch the casting director. My God. I mean, wow, Joanna, I can't believe you got choked. That is. Yeah, that was really bad. I ran into the other uh, room and cried. And then I got some flowers the next day, but that didn't help. Just recently, I'm working on a film right now and I'm actually producing it. And congratulations. Thank you. We had an actor set, deal closed. And his call time was 10 a.m. And at 8.30 a.m., the agent called me and said, he's not showing up. And I said, you know, this is going to shut down our beautiful little movie. It's just a teeny tiny little budget movie. And I said to the agent, okay, we're going to hang up the phone and you're going to please look at your roster of clients. And in 10 minutes, please call me back and tell me that you've put an actor in his car because it's a part for a male. And that person is coming to my set and learning their lines on the way to the set. And he said, okay. And he called me back in 10 minutes and woke an actor up from sleeping and said, get in the car. You're doing a movie. I'm texting you your sides for today. (laughs) And he was fantastic. We're shooting right now. He's fantastic. They say the right person is always on the set. Yes. It it was a bit of magic. I can't believe that happened to you. You know, there's that beautiful book called Second Choices. An actor gave it to me a million years ago, actually on adaptation, and it's called Second Choices. The whole thing is about who were the second choices. Oh, that's great. I got chills. Yeah, it's beautiful. And like we always say, the right person is going to be on the set, no matter what happens, you know. Again, back to trust and sort of allowing things to be lined up in the way that they are. 
So I always ask my guests about their morning coffee and tea rituals. If you have one that you'd like to share. I mean, I feel like we have to amend that and do our afternoon tea ritual, which is which is an office staple. And Justine being British brings such specificity. And I mean, if the milk isn't the right temperature, we need almost a thermometer because we're just sort of guessing with the microwave. Not only is it the tea, it's also the mug has to be the right size because some mugs make a good cup of tea and some mugs make a terrible cup of tea. It has nothing to do with the maker. It's the mug. And I've learned that big time. So it's like a four o'clock cup of tea, usually a, a PG tips if you've got it or some sort of other black tea. And I feel like it's maybe two thirds water and a third soy which has now been replaced by oats milk. And it gets microwaved. Are we frothing the oat? Um, if we're doing an at-home cuppa, I feel like, a, uh, yeah, if you're, <laughs> Justine is, you can't see for the listeners, but she's vigorously nodding along. <laughs> and also sometimes it's a two-bagger. So, you know, that's crucial. You get the two bags depending on the day and what the hell's happening and how late we're going to be in the office. Yeah, but it's like a four o'clock tea for everyone. And it comes at a crucial time for that last push. It really just zips you up and ready to like ramp up for the, you know, the last two, three, sometimes four hours of the day. Am I forgetting a key ingredient? No, it's the interesting thing, though, is that the first person that says, hey, does anybody fancy a cup of tea? The other people in the office are like, oh my God, I was literally just going to say that. Well, you are just warming my heart with this story because specificity of coffee and teas is so important to me. I will literally go to one place for the milk and one place for the espresso and, like one, and put it together in the right way in the right mug. What is the right mug for you, Justine? It can't be a stoneware mug because they don't make a good cup of tea. Sometimes you think a, a cup of tea is going to be good in this mug and it isn't and then vice versa. It makes it taste a little like fishy, I want to say, which is a disgusting thing to say, but it's got a weird smell. Immediately, you know, it's a bad cup of tea because the odor, you don't even have to put the milk in, just throw it out and start again with a different mug. <laughs> okay, everyone, get your tea information here from the source. <laughs> and that happens first thing in the morning for me. So. That's a morning, definitely. Okay. Two bags. Yeah. And you're ready for your day. Yeah. Are you guys coffee in the morning, Kim and Farron? I think you both are coffee in the morning, right? Coffee. And I am a decaf person now. Acupuncturist said decaf. So now that's me. I don't know. I guess I'll... Well, they have decaf PG tips, so we're going to be golden. We'll still keep the tradition. Yes. Figuring out all the new ways, guys. Probably going to be better for, for y'all, too, if I'm not all like getting all jacked up on coffee and driving everybody crazy when I start getting a little too intense. Like, why am I so intense right now? <laughs> too much coffee, too much caffeine, whoopsie daisy. We have a really good laugh in our office. We work, I mean, the work is so hard, but we can all have, um, I don't know if other casting directors ever talk, talked about this to you or you yourself have, have this, but sometimes out of left field, we're in the office and we just start having giggle fits. I think you get so tired that somebody will say something and all of a sudden we just are collapsing with laughter. 
Yeah. And it's not even like anything that would anybody would think is funny. It's just like a random something somebody said or the way they said it. And it's oh, what we said. Yeah, exactly. Over. (laughs) Silly. I like an iced coffee, but not a cold brew. That's too intense. I like an iced coffee, but I'm definitely going to be getting coffee mugs with lids because I had an iced coffee tip into the laptop recently for any associate or casting director that's had that experience it's a one and done never again these computers I can't believe they're still not able to stand up to coffee doesn't everyone have a cup of coffee next to their computer at all times glass of water yeah it's just they're too delicate these computers (laughs) yeah Apple Bill Gates if you're listening yeah help us out we know you're tricking us you want us to replace these things every few months and we're on to you (laughs) So please, this is the podcast to get this shit done. Sorted out, please. Yes. Oh, well, I can't thank you enough. This was so much fun. This made my day. And definitely when four o'clock rolls around, I'll be thinking of all of you. Yes. Are you going to interview yourself? Do we get to hear a podcast with your stories and get to hear your background? Oh, that's so nice. I don't didn't ever think of that but um I don't know maybe we're gonna have to turn the tables boy all right all right yeah I mean remember when we first met Joanna yeah we were nervous to meet you you were at Universal yeah Mm -hmm. I'm sure I was nervous too we had the best time though we like you made us so comfortable you made us so comfy and we ended up having such a lovely time and such a good laugh we did and it was great Joanna, thank you for having us. Honestly, so fun. Like, this has been yeah. such a pleasure. My hands are a bit sweaty because I'm nervous, <laughs> but um, I got so nervous, but it's been really lovely talking to you. It was wonderful. I'm so appreciative. And you gave our audience a lot of gold today. So for that, we've done our job. Well, thanks again for having us. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode enlightening. It's really my true desire to share a unique perspective on the casting process and help you feel more confident and inspired. The podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify. For new episode updates, you can follow the show on Instagram at The Casting Session. Please feel free to share this with your friends and write a review. And tune in next week for more behind-the-scenes gold. I'm Joanna Colbert, and I'll see you at the next casting session.